Well, it's great to be with you guys today. This is a lot of fun to get up to get and do this. This is really special. Um, before I started here at Seabreeze, the job I had, I was working in business locally, and the job I had involved um, doing a lot of business contracts and licensing agreements between our company and other companies. And the, the business I was with, we did some manufacturing and distribution, and we also owned some intellectual properties. We had some patents and some other stuff that we owned. And so we would enter into these agreements with other um, companies or even sometimes with individuals. And when we would draw up these um, licensing agreements or these business contracts, you know, it has the terms in there, the expectations for both parties, what it is that we're doing, what it is that they're doing, the different responsibilities that we have. We do this, they do this, they provide this, we'll follow through and give this. And then there's obviously um, penalties or consequences if the terms of the contract are breached. And so we would draw these up, and that was a fairly big part of my job was working on those things. But something that's really interesting to me is sometimes what you and I can do is we can approach God as though he was just like us and as if we had a business contract with him. One of those things where, okay, God, we do this for you here, but then you've got to do this for us over here. Or, God, I, I gave you this in the past, and now, God, you need to give this to me right now. I did this, God does this. Just this back-and-forth kind of mutually beneficial contract. And we, we oftentimes operate in life as though that's how it works with God. The problem is this just completely misses the reality of both who God is and who we are. See, God is infinite, but you and I, we're finite. God is eternal. Our lives here are going to come to an end. God's our creator. We're his creation. Our lives exist within the boundaries of time, but God is the one who created time. So when you step back and you start to think about it and you add it all up, what you realize is God, as the infinite, eternal creator, it's his will and his plan that are going to have the final say. He's the one that ultimately determines what happens in your life and what happens in my life. And that's why the only logical posture to take with God is not trying to figure out how do I set up this contract or this agreement so that I can get the most out of it as possible and if I do this, he does this. It doesn't make any sense to do that. The only logical posture to take before God is a posture of surrender. And in this series, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about surrender. And I think this is really important, partially because of what Bevan just said, as we look to the future and consider how we can be a part of it. It starts with each of us surrendering, but also as we start to do this, what we're doing right now on a more regular basis, we all come here with expectations and hopes and dreams and desires and stuff that we want to see happen. But actually, the first thing we've got to do before we enter into any of that is go before God and surrender ourselves to him. So in this series, that's what we're exploring. What does it look like to surrender to God? And we've identified four daily surrender decisions that each of us make. And it's interesting that each one of these daily surrender decisions that we get to make are also the decisions that Jesus modeled for us. We have an example who we can look at to see how we do these. And to help us remember and also understand these daily surrender decisions... We've identified four postures, four physical postures. Whenever we get our body involved, it helps us remember things more clearly. That's why when you're a kid and you're in like elementary school, they always have you, you know, act it out or do it. Because when you involve your body, you remember it. So we've got four postures. And then with each one of these four postures, there's a W word. A word that starts with W that identifies 
what it is that we're surrendering. What's the specific thing that we're taking before God? So just a quick review so we can be on the same page. The first week, Bevan talked about the posture is the posture of bowing your head. You bow your head. When you bow your head, what you're doing is you're submitting your will. You're surrendering your will. That's the W word. You're surrendering your will to God. Last week, we talked about closing your eyes. When you close your eyes, you're choosing to wait. You're surrendering your plans to God. And today, the posture we're going to look at is having open hands, opening your hands. So you bow your head, you close your eyes, and then you open your hands. And when you open your hands, what you're surrendering, the W word, is what you want, your wants, your desires, the things you hope for. When you open your hands, you're surrendering that. Because it's with our hands that we take hold of things. We grab onto them and we hold on tightly. We take hold of what we want. But when, I, when you open your hands, what that posture symbolizes is, I'm letting go of this. I'm not holding on to this. I'm not trying to control it. I'm not trying to, con- to keep it. I'm, I'm having open hands. God, if you want to take this, you can take this. God, if you want to change what's in my hands, you can change what's in my hands. But God, I'm surrendering what I want to what you want. And what's interesting is this posture of open hands, this is actually a posture that Jesus modeled for us. As our leader, we're Christ followers, he's the one that we follow. As our leader, he lived this out to show us what this looks like. There's one passage that makes this really clear in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says this. If you've got your message notes, it's on there so you can follow along with me. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. It's saying you, you take the same approach to life that he did. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. This passage is pointing out so many important realities about who Jesus is. It's making the point that he is God. He's a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as a member of the Trinity, God himself... He didn't, like it says, it says he didn't hold on to this. This wasn't something that he was clinging to, but he decided to open his hands. He didn't close his hands around this. I mean, if you think about everything that he did for us, if he was ever going to get to the point where he was going to go to the cross and die for us, the first thing he had to do is take on a body. I mean, talk about letting go. You go from all-powerful creator to a baby. You go from all the power in the world to the weakness of a small child. I mean, he had to let go of a tremendous amount in order to go to the cross and pay for our sins. And it wasn't just a decision that he made one time. He actually had to make this decision over and over again during his 33 years that Jesus was here on this planet. At any time, he could have said, nope, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. But again and again, he modeled for us a life of living with open hands, surrendering what he wanted to what the plan of his father's was. And then the kind of the pinnacle, the high point of his life is when he does go to the cross for us. But if you think about that act of surrender compared to us, I mean, for you and me, death isn't really an act of surrender because we're all going to die whether we want to or not. I mean, we can influence maybe the timing and maybe the manner in which we die, but it's going to happen to us. But for Jesus, again, he could have closed his hands around that. He was God. He could have said, okay, I'll do all this but I'm not going to do that. So you start to add it up and him giving his sinless life for our sinful lives. And what you realize really quickly 
is no one has ever opened their hands as much as Jesus did and sacrificed, surrendered as much as he did, and he did it for our benefit. So when we're instructed to surrender and open our hands and take this posture, he actually went first. And he did it to a degree that we're not going to have to do it to because he surrendered things that we don't have. So he, he modeled it for us perfectly. And then as his followers, we're called to take the same approach. And again, back to this Philippians verse, like it says, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So you and I, we have this really exciting opportunity to every day decide, am I going to follow the example of my leader and am I going to open my hands? Am I going to surrender what I want or am I going to close my hands and I'm going to hold on to what I want? Every day we get to decide, am I going to take the approach of Jesus or am I going to take some other approach and hold on to what I want? And there's a few reasons why we would hold on to what we want and close our hands. The first reason is arrogance. In arrogance, we think that what we think is better than God. We, what we want is better than what God would give us. And there are times in life where even though maybe you know, we're holding on to something that we really want and we're pursuing it, but we keep hitting wall after wall and it's not, just, it's not working out and we're getting frustrated, there's even times when that's happening and the thought of opening our hands and surrendering what we want to God, it doesn't make sense because deep down in our heart, we're convinced that, well, I, I mean, I know he says that, but I, I, I think I know better than he does in this situation. I mean, it's, it's just arrogance. Recently, our family was um, having ice cream and our youngest um, was, we we're eating ice cream and at the time she was learning how to, how to eat with a spoon and so, you know how kids are when they're learning how to eat with a spoon. It can be pretty messy. And so we put the spoons on the table and we had the ice cream set out. And one of her older siblings gave her one of the large spoons that my wife and I would use. And then there's all the kids' spoons. And she, she got her hands on this spoon that was, it's too big for her. But she really was excited. And she was like, oh, this is awesome. I get to use a big spoon. So she starts trying to eat the ice cream with this big spoon. And it wasn't working at all. I mean, ice cream was everywhere except for where it was supposed to be. It was in her hair. Like, you know, she'd get these big scoops of ice cream with the spoon, and it was just way too big to fit in her mouth. So she would be trying, you know, she'd just be kind of painting her face as she's trying to do it. But then it would start to melt. So then by the time that it maybe got to the size where she maybe could eat it, she would, you know, tip the spoon and it would fall out. And then she'd get frustrated because now it's on the floor and it's not where she wanted it to be. So we're watching this happen, and I'm like, okay, like, I'll offer her the kid's spoon. So I held it out and said, hey, here's the, here's the other spoon. Why don't you try this? Immediate response, no. I was like, okay. So then I was like, I'll give you a few more minutes of this. So she keeps doing it. She keeps getting more frustrated. Ice cream is everywhere. I mean, she's completely covered. It's everywhere, except for where she wants it to be and where it's supposed to be, which is being eaten. So finally, I take that big spoon. I, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to take the big spoon away from her. I take it away from her, put the little spoon in her hand, show her that the little spoon will help her accomplish what she wants. And when I do this, what do you think the response was? You think it was one of, oh, dad, thank you so much. This is exactly what I wanted. No. Screams. Tears. She, she very clearly communicated that that big spoon was the right spoon for her and if she wasn't going to be able to eat ice cream with the big spoon, well, then on principle, she wasn't going to be eating ice cream. And it was kind of an eye-opening moment as a parent. It was like, okay, is this what the teenage years are going to look like? But 
we do the same thing as adults. I mean, we, we have these wants and we have these desires and we wrap our hands around them and we grab a hold of them, convinced that this is the right thing for me. This is the best thing for me. This thing that I want. This is it. And then God says, actually, you need to open your hands. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen, but you just need to open your hands. And just the thought of opening our hands, oftentimes what we do is we just grab a hold of tighter. Because deep down in our heart, we're convinced we know better than he does. Let's just call it what it is. That's just arrogance. It's arrogant to think in your heart that you know better than God. So often in arrogance, we'll close our hands around what we want. Another reason that we'll close our hands is fear. We don't trust that God is good. We're afraid that if we open our hands... He's going to take what we love and give us something that we don't want. We're afraid that if we open our hands, that it's actually going to be a loss on our part. And what he gives to us or what he does is something we're going to be disappointed with it. And let's also face the reality that we don't know the specifics of God's plan. So the idea of opening our hands, that, that means we're opening ourselves up to some unknowns. We don't really like risk. We spend a lot of our lives trying to avoid risk. So the idea of, okay, I'm going to open my hands up to something that's unknown, that scares us. We're afraid of that. And for me, actually, this has been a struggle through the years. I don't like calling it fear. I don't want to call it fear. I, I want to call it, you know, I'm, I'm just tying up all the loose ends. I'm just, you know, doing all the research that I need to do, getting all the facts. I'm just, you know, I've got all kinds of excuses. But really deep down in my heart, it's fear. It's fear of really opening up my hands and surrendering what I want to God. And this has been a, a struggle for me over and over again. With my wife, Allie, when we were dating, before we got married, we had one of those relationships that was an on-again, off-again relationship. And it was, you know, kind of back and forth. We'd be in a relationship, then we wouldn't be in a relationship. I really wanted the relationship, but she was kind of uns- uncertain about me. So she was, she was kind of taking her time to figure me out. But that was really frustrating to me. Because I really wanted this to work. I really wanted this relationship. And so I was getting more and more frustrated because I was, as it wasn't working, I would, I would hold on tighter. And deep down, I was really afraid of what would happen if I opened my hands up to what God had. So one day I was, I was reading my Bible and I was in First uh, Peter chapter 2. And in that passage, I read this verse and this verse stood out to me. So I spent some time considering it. This is what it says in First Peter 2 verse 6. It says, for in Scripture it says, this is a quote of a prophecy that came before, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to, sh- to shame. The idea, of, the, the idea in the passage is it's talking about Jesus. And so this chosen and precious cornerstone, what it's saying is Jesus is, he came through the nation of Israel, I lay a stone in Zion, and he's this chosen and precious cornerstone, means he's this foundation piece that we can build our lives on. And then the verse ends, and it says, and the one who trusts in him, the one who has open hands towards him, who surrenders, one who surrenders what they want, says they'll never be put to shame. That word shame was interesting to me, so I looked it up in a few different translations, and the word shame could also mean disappointed. And that really challenged me, because that's what I was afraid of. I was afraid if I open my hands to God, I'm going to be disappointed. That's what I was struggling with. And so this was saying, actually, that's not true. If you open your hands to God, if you choose to trust him, you're not going to be disappointed. And it wasn't automatic for me, but I was really, okay, that's my struggle right now. So I got to figure out how do I open my hands to God 
in this situation. It wasn't automatic. It didn't happen overnight. But I finally got to a point where I could say, God, I don't know what's going to happen here. I want this, but I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have open hands towards you, and I'm going to believe that I'm not going to be disappointed if I trust you. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what you're going to do. I can't predict the future, but I am going to believe that I'm not going to be disappointed. It wasn't automatic. didn't happen overnight. It was a process to get there, but I finally got to a point where I could honestly say that before God. And just because I did that in that area, this is actually still a struggle for me. You know, it's like I figure it out in one situation, and then I encounter another situation. I mean, I've got stuff in my life right now that I really want. And the thought of really opening up my hands to God, there's some fear that goes along with that. You know, we've got three young kids. There's stuff that I want for my kids. There's stuff that I want for their future. And the thought of having open hands in those areas, there's some fear that goes along with that. But I got to be careful because if if I let fear cause me to close my hands around what I want, I've, I've just got to be really careful. Because if I let that fear drive me, then I could close my hands to God and not live a life of surrender where my hands are open to him. And for me, I've identified a couple of indicators that I've closed my hands. You know when you close your hands, like, here's where the audience gets involved. Everybody, you know, put your hand in a fist and squeeze it really tight. Your knuckles, you start to lose a little blood in your knuckles and it changes colors, those white knuckles. These indicators are like those white knuckles. When you see somebody with white knuckles, you know, if like when my daughter was learning how to ride her bike, you know, she had white knuckles at first. You know, we take off the training wheels and she's just holding on for dear life. Those white knuckles are like, she's really gripping those handlebars. These white knuckles in life, when we encounter indicators, what it's pointing to is in our heart, we've grabbed a hold of something and we're holding on for dear life. So for me, a few of the indicators... How it shows up for me is uh, stress and worry. When I encounter stress and worry, those are like the white knuckles that are saying, oh, I'm holding on to something really, really tightly. I'm, I'm trying to control the outcome. I'm carrying the burdens, and I feel like I'm all alone in this situation. I'm white knuckling something. Those are indicators for me. Other indicators for me are frustration and anger. You know, when I start to get frustrated with what's going on in a situation or the anger starts to kind of bubble up on the inside, it's like those white knuckles. It's showing that, oh, there's something, there's something I've grabbed a hold of and I won't let it go. And so what we need to do is identify where are our white knuckles and then wherever those white knuckles are, that's an area where you need to say, okay, God, I'm going to open my hands. And maybe even right now, maybe you're sitting there right now and something's already popped in your head and you're thinking, oh, that's an area where I'm experiencing a lot of worry. I'm really frustrated with what's going on over here. If you've identified that, remember that. And then when you get a moment to be by yourself, I would would encourage you, actually physically open your hands. Go before God and say, God, in this area, I'm really frustrated. God, would you help me to have open hands towards what you want and not just hold on to what I want in this situation? And I encourage you, actually physically open your hands, and the act of doing that can be so helpful to helping our hearts start to open up to what God wants. So actually do that. Get involved and say, God, help me to open my hands. Because one of the risks we run, it's really interesting what what we risk. When we have closed hands, we hold on tightly to what we want, and we don't surrender it to God, we run a risk of missing out on the most important thing we can experience in this life. In the book of Jonah, there's a really interesting observation that Jonah makes. He says this in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. He says, Those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love for them. Now, in Jonah's day, you know, we think of like, 
we think of idols and we think, oh, that's not a modern thing. Because in Jonah's day, you know, there are these little figurines that are up on their mantle and they believed they had special powers and the people would put their hope and their trust in them and they would worship them and the idols would rise up and have God-level status in these people's hearts because they were so important to them, they would hold on to them. And even though we don't have as many, you know, idols in our modern world, we could really do this with just about anything. I mean, anything that we, any want or desire that we wrap our hands tightly around, that can become like an idol to us. It can take God-level status inside of our hearts. And it's this, I'm going to read the observation again, because this is something we need to pay attention to. It says, those who cling to worthless idols, those who, these things that they want, they grab a hold of them, and they hold on to them, they white-knuckle them, they won't surrender them to God, says they turn away from God's love for them. That is really interesting. God's love, when a person's experiencing God's love, I mean, if you just kind of add up what the Bible says about that, a person who's experiencing God's love, they experience his blessing in their lives, they experience his favor in their lives, they experience help and support and challenges. They are people who are full of joy. They're people who have peace, even when from the outside it seems like there's no reason for them to have peace. They're people of courage, even in the face of, of challenges and difficulty. They're people who they act in courage because they know, not, not just theoretically, they, don't, they haven't just heard about God's love, but God's love is something they are experiencing in the moment. And so they can step out and have tremendous courage. People who are experiencing God's love, they're people of hope. They look to the future, and instead of being afraid of all the different scenarios that could happen, they say, because of God's love, I, I have great hope for the future. Because I knew, know who God is, and I know how he loves us, and I know how he operates. So there's, there's tremendous hope that goes along with that. So you add that up, and what you realize is, experiencing all these good things that are associated with God's love, God's love is the best thing you can experience in this life, and it comes with tremendous benefits. Those who have open hands of surrender, they are experiencing God's love. But people who, those of us, all of us, whatever the situation, when we have something over here and we white-knuckle it, we grab a hold of it, it says we're turning away. God's love's right here for us to experience in the moment, but we've turned our backs on it because of this other thing that we want. There's another translation of this same verse, and it says those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Just think about the idea of the word forfeit. And imagine a team, imagine some team, they get to play in the Super Bowl, but the night before they forfeit. It's like everybody would be like, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? Why would you do that? All, you, you didn't even show up to the game. You didn't even try. But that's the idea is all this amazing stuff that could be ours and could be experienced that God wants to give to us. Well, but we really want this over here. And we know better than God. And we're afraid of what will happen if we open. All we've got to do is surrender and open our hands. But instead, we hold on tightly and we turn our backs and we forfeit what could be ours. You know, something that is really amazing about God that I am continuously reminded of whenever I'm faced with an opportunity to surrender and actually do it is when God does call us to surrender, what he offers in return is far better than we ever could have gotten on our own. When we open our hands, in the moment it might not seem like it, but whatever he does with what's in our hands or whatever he gives us, it's always better than what we had before. But you and I, what we've got to do 
is we have to surrender. So it starts, we bow our head, we surrender our will, we close our eyes, we choose to wait on his plan, and then we open our hands and we surrender what we want. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God who extends your love in ways that are real and can be experienced in the moment. It's not just something that we get to read about, but it's something that becomes real and true in our lives. And obviously that's brought in through Jesus and what Jesus did in him changing us, but then it can be experienced in so many different ways as we walk with you. God, help us to be people who, when we're faced with the challenges of life, we don't hold on tightly to what we want, but we again and again say, this day, I'm going to surrender to God. I'm going to surrender my will and my plans and my wants to his will and his plans and what he wants to do in this situation. Father, I pray that you would help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.